Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters, episode number 49. How's everyone doing today? Today is an interesting day because I'm chatting with someone who lives in California and invests in an expensive and overpriced market like California. I personally don't invest in California, but I'm always looking to understand why uh, and how someone can invest here. Right. And it's an interesting uh, idea because the California and the markets like Seattle, etc. or New York, they are overpriced and they are overpriced, of course, because the local economies have created demand for housing much faster than builders can produce new supply. It's all about supply and demand. In the Bay Area, let's take an example. The high demand is due to the rapid development of technology industries, especially because they produce a lot of high-paying jobs. Whereas in the Los Angeles area, where average home prices are much lower, the lack of construction over the past decade is the main problem. A slowdown of the national economy, which I think is very likely in the next couple of years, will affect the most overpriced markets the most. In the Bay Area, uh, companies will shed high-priced engineers, which will have the greatest effect on higher-priced real estate. In Los Angeles, jobs will be affected more generally, but real estate will feel the effect most in the outlying residential markets like Riverside, San Bernardino. So I want to chat with Anthony Walker, who is the CEO and managing broker of Buckingham Investments. Uh, They are located in uh, Southern California, just as Buckingham Investments have been doing for over 50 years. Anthony seeks to be a trusted advisor and assist his clients with achieving financial independence and retirement security through investing in multifamily income property. He believes that real estate wealth is not created only at the time of purchase, but will be made before an investment is ever made through education and planning. And I want to chat with him about how and why he invests in California, as well as how he helps his clients build a portfolio in California market like California. Welcome, Anthony, to Wealth Matters Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Alpesh. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Of course. Hey, Anthony, can you tell my listeners what's your primary job or business right now? Sure. So my my day job is I'm a multifamily broker. So I buy and sell apartment buildings and represent clients doing that. And uh, our model here in SoCal with our uh, little boutique company called Buckingham Investments is to help people learn all about how to invest in apartment buildings, especially if they haven't done it before, mm-hmm. teach them all the analysis, the philosophy, the strategy behind it, and help them get into their first property or maybe make that first exchange if they've already started on their own or help people scale up their portfolios. That's awesome. So do you personally invest in real estate as well? Absolutely. Actually, that's the reason I got into the business. <laughs> To begin with, I was first an investor. I was actually a client of my company 
originally and uh, bought bought a little duplex with them to get started about 10 years ago and have been growing my portfolio ever since. So uh, was that duplex your first investment or how did you start in real estate and why? (laughs) That that was my third purchase. but that was my first multifamily purchase. Nice. Uh, previously to that in 2006, I bought a vacation rental condo in Costa Rica. And wow. uh, so that was an odd one. I, I did get to go and visit there. Yeah. And, and it's tax deductible. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, tax deductible. Um, unfortunately, my timing wasn't so good on that one. So oh. I wrote the value on that all the way down, all the way back up. I sold mm. it 11 years after I bought it for the same price I bought it for. My God. But, but that's what real estate is, right? <laughs> as long as you made money during that 11 years, you are good. Right. Yeah, so, you know, because yeah. we always don't wait for appreciation. If you're, the goal should be cash flow, right? And then appreciation right. would follow. Uh, so why did you start investing in real estate? Um, I started because I was trying to figure out what I could do uh, as far as starting a business for myself. And my, my criteria for businesses that I was looking at were something that could generate passive income, something that had the ability to be scalable, and something that required a minimal number of employees. Uh, in a previous career, I had had a lot of employees to work with and right. manage, and that was, uh, that's, that's a lot of work and a, and a, lot, of, a lot to do there. So yeah. real estate really fit all those criteria perfectly. Uh, there was no necessity for me to you know, invent some new business model. I'm, I'm nice. not really a tech guy. Uh, so, it was <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like you have an entrepreneurial mind though, because oh, okay. you are always looking for business, which is good. Because the idea, even, even, you know, I, I have businesses as well. I'm, I don't work full time for anyone, but even, you know, I always tell people try to look into building a business, right? Even as a side hustle, as an extra source of income, because that you got to have that additional streams of income. For sure. So, uh, you know, we chatted about investing in California and personally, I don't invest in California because I don't like gambling. <laughs> so, <laughs> What are different ways for investors to make money in a market like California? Sure. So first of all, California, you know, I know there's a lot of talk around there in the investing community about investing in less expensive markets elsewhere. Um, But Southern California is really a different market. It requires a different strategy. And um, you can make a lot of money here if you know how to do it. So uh, first, First thing I hear from a lot of people is, well, I can't invest in California. It's just way too expensive here. Right. And, you know, my kind of snippy answer to that is, well, it's expensive for a reason <laughs> <It's> expensive <laughs> because it works. Right? right. So, you know, yeah, it's expensive uh, compared to other markets. Is it impossible to get into for your average investor? Absolutely not. Um, there's great financing that can allow you to put pretty low down payments down. You're definitely buyers buying smaller buildings for the same purchase price. However, what's going on here is, you really do have a long-term trend of strong appreciation in California. And yeah, that's I, not um, necessarily every year. Obviously, our you know, real estate market here is susceptible to the same market cycles yep. elsewhere. But over the long run, our company is fortunate to have over 50 years of local data. Over the long run in our market right here in uh, southern L.A. County, every year we have an average appreciation rate of 6.5%. 
So oh, if you yeah. invest with wow. the long with the long term time horizon and you're comfortable holding on to properties, you can get great appreciation. The other big reason to invest in an area like California where properties are expensive is if you understand how the numbers work with apartment buildings, they're valued on the income they produce. Right. So yeah. we, you know, we have really strong rent growth and you know, in areas where gross rent multipliers are much higher and cap rates are lower, for every dollar that you're able to increase your rents on a building here, you're adding that much more value, which can be a really attractive strategy. No, that's a, that's a great point. So what are some things investors should keep in mind while investing in expensive markets? Right now, pretty much I would say that Western US is pretty much bubbled up and very expensive, which includes Colorado, Seattle, of course, California. Right. So what are some of the things, you know, even because I don't invest, so someone should keep in mind. <laughs> well, so you've got to still look at every deal like you're going to own it for a long time. Okay. Uh, people got into a lot of trouble in the run-up to the subprime bust by you yeah. know buying stuff that didn't pencil out on a monthly basis. You've got to either find properties that are going to yeah. at least break even or better or ideally give you some cash flow or yeah. where there's a short-term path to get there so that you can own the property for a long time. That's really important. And there's also this conception that investing in California, everybody just buys these luxury properties, these expensive properties. That's not really a strategy that most of our clients and myself are following. I found okay. it to be a lot more effective to buy properties that are in B or C neighborhoods, B or C condition. You get a lot better numbers on those properties, but you get to experience a lot of the same economics that makes California a great place to invest. The other thing about investing in those types of properties is builders can't really build that stuff right now and make a good return. So you have no competition right. from new supply. Right, no, that, that's a great point as well. So. How do you analyze the deal and location when you are looking at the deal or for yourself or even for the investors? Sure. So uh, when I look at a deal, you know, it all starts obviously with what I've got for initial investment, including down payment, renovation capital, what I think is going to be uh, my financing structure for anything that I'm going into. And I like to buy stuff that's kind of in the path of progress, so right. to speak where there's you know redevelopment happening in the area there's other investors that are coming in improving properties uh, where you've got new jobs coming in or some new big developments or maybe you know a major public project that's going on or new transit coming in those are all great areas to look at it investing and when you're doing your deal analysis of course you've got to be aware of your market rents first and foremost what you're going to be able to get on that property when you do get vacancies and of course, how it's going to perform for you at close. I see. So as a company, when you are presenting a deal to an investor, do you provide all this data like path of progress? Uh, is, is there going to be a new transit or going to be another shopping mall across the street, et cetera? Definitely. And I would recommend whoever you work with in whatever market you're in, it really pays to work with local professionals. We've made a whole business out of knowing our area you know, like the back of our hands. So when we work with clients, we'll take them around, show them all the new projects that are happening, what's going on in the future of the area, all these sorts of things in the areas that we serve. We know these markets really, really well. And that allows us to give great advice to our clients and help them identify deals that, you know, may not look any different than the next one on paper. And I would, I would recommend wherever you're going, especially if you're investing outside of the area in which you live, 
work with a solid team of local professionals that can help you do that. That that's the key, you know. So I invest mostly out of state, and mm-hmm. before even I started buying, I started building my team. My goal was to have a solid local team. So if and if I cannot be there, they are my eyes and ears, right? They are the team on the ground. Even now, if I find a property, I can just ask them, be it the contractor, insurance agent, or even the VP at the bank from whom I got the financing, he would go and look, take a look at the property or would there give me go. an idea about the area, right? So Perfect. yes, the local knowledge is so important. So uh, would you be able to share with us an example of a deal? right? Just to give us an idea of what kind of deal do you see? It could be a fourplex or 10 unit or, or just so that uh, we, my listeners and I can understand the numbers or the, sure. uh, you know, uh, math behind it. Yeah. So uh, I recently bought a, a new eight unit building just nice. a couple months ago. So you, uh, you did? I did personally. Oh, nice. Yeah, so okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. So that kind of deal. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So this deal was attractive for a number of reasons. Um, it was really large. It's eight units, good unit mix. I think there's five two-bedroom units, uh, three one-bedroom units, 10 garages, which is actually pretty rare. Oh, wow. Market. So it's Our like things. a townhome or condo then? Uh, sort of, yeah. It, it was an older building built in the 60s, but it has ah, a little bit okay. of a feel. Yeah, the, the units are larger. Um, bought it from an owner who was retiring and wanting to get out of managing it himself. Right. Right. So, you know, the rents were significantly under market. Um, And I was able to, first of all, get the owner to carry the paper. So that's awesome. I was was, going to ask you about financing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we don't see a lot of that here, maybe a couple of deals a year where, where that goes on, but this particular seller wanted to defer their capital gain. They didn't want to manage the building anymore, but they nice. wanted some yield. And get some mailbox story. money. Yeah, so he gets the mailbox money from me. I get the building. Um, I get to capture the upside in rents gradually as we increase them. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought the property for 1.7 million. Okay. Um, for that, that's eight units. I think the building is about uh, 7,500 square feet, if I can remember correctly. So the okay. units are almost 1,000 square feet each. Yeah. pretty large for our neighborhood. Um, this is in Long Beach. Oh, and nice. again, kind of like what I was saying, it's, it's not in the, in the greatest neighborhood right now, but it's really close to good neighborhoods. Uh, just a couple blocks away, it gets much nicer. It's walking distance to a train stop. Um, which gets you all over LA from this area. And it's pretty close to downtown where there's tons of other development going on. Um, income metric wise, I, I bought this building at 15 times gross, which oh, okay. sounds super high wow. if you're used to wow. looking out of state. Wow. Yep. Um, that's probably, I think that was under a four cap, you know, maybe a three. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Like <laughs> um, but there's, there's a huge upside in the rents. Uh, at market, on the price that I paid for the building, it was at about 10 times gross, which is incredible. Oh, okay. So by the time I get there, it'll, it'll be operating at about a seven cap for me, which nice. is, you know, as good or better than you can do in a lot of other markets. And oh, in yeah. doing so, when I'm done, the building will probably be worth about $2.2 million. Nice. And, and, um, and seven cap in California is, is rare. It's almost Very rare. And unheard getting, of <laughs> right now. Nowhere. And this, is, this, is, uh, this building's 18 blocks to the beach. Oh, really? Nice. And how far is it from the Long Beach Airport? Long Beach Airport is a ways. It's, it's right. about four yeah. or five miles. It's on the other side of the city, on the western side of the city, just north of downtown. 
Oh, okay. Awesome. So what's your plan with this particular deal? Uh, you're trying to raise the rent and sell or you're going to keep it for longer term? This oh. is a long-term hold. Um, the seller wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to have to pay his capital gains taxes. So I have a 10% prepayment penalty for the oh. first five years. Okay. I'm, Got I'm it. Know it. So it really makes no sense to sell, but I'm a buy and hold investor generally anyway. So okay. I'm going to own this for a long time. Um, I didn't, you know, clear the building out. Nobody got eviction notices or anything nice. like that. I'm just going to gradually increase rents and improve the building as we go along. And um, it should be a great one to own long term. And um, my other question is, how are the taxes in, in property taxes in that area? So property taxes in California, we're kind of lucky. Um, we have Prop 13, which protects us from property taxes right. uh, increasing every year. Uh, they can only go up by a super small percentage. And property taxes on a percentage basis are pretty small here because the properties are so expensive. So that's yeah. really to allow people to be able to stay in their homes, not get forced out. Um, one and a quarter percent of the purchase price is a pretty safe assumption in our market for property okay. taxes. So on a percentage basis, that's pretty low. Uh, this building, I, if you do the math, is probably just over $20,000 a year in property taxes. Got it. And uh, do you have a property management company or do you work with a property management company? Yes. Uh, I, we have a strategic partnership with a local property management company. Uh, they do a fantastic job. Their name's Borba Property Group, if anybody's looking in our local area and needs a good manager. Um, I just don't have the time or nor no. would I desire to manage my own building. Exactly. Yeah, they do a great job. Yeah, if you are a broker, if you are working with investors, you know, you should focus on what you are good at, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and the whole purpose that you acquired the property from an owner, you know, who was managing, self-managing, right? So right. You, your goal <laughs> is to increase the rent, your goal is to get better tenants, etc. Then why would you? you go with a professional, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make the same mistakes that he did. Right, exactly. exactly. So <laughs> do you know how it. much, uh, what kind, what percentage they charge for property management? This particular company charges anywhere between five and 8% of the collected rents, depending okay. on the size of the building. Uh, for a property of this size, you're probably going to look at about 6%. Um, and I think that's actually a great rate. They don't really nickel and dime you with, a la carte extra fees or anything like that. And they're, they're incentivized to get the rents um, because if they don't collect them, they don't get paid and keep the units full and keep the rents at market. And really, you know, when I look at my statements and I see how much work they're doing, uh, you know, I get a nice clean accounting statement every month. I don't have to do anything. This is really passive income for me. Uh, it's so cheap that there's just no reason why, in my yeah. mind, why you wouldn't pay a professional manager. No, no, I agree. So can you share a deal with us, which was your home run? Maybe it's your deal or from your client as well, where you acquired the property, you owned it, and then you sold it at pretty good, you know, a return overall. Sure. Um, so one particularly comes to mind that I got a couple years ago. I bought this one in 2017. Um, this was a 12 unit apartment building, uh, also in Long Beach, transit corridor, close to schools. Uh, really old building. This one was built in 1923. Wow. And uh, tiny units. It was a mixture of one bedrooms and studios. The whole building's about 5,000 square feet. So, you know, with 12 units, so you can see really how small, small. The units would yeah. be here. Um, the building was totally beat up. I bought it for 
uh, 1.43 million. Okay. I uh, invested uh, $200,000 into the property, increasing rents to market. Um, these rents were at about 50% of market. So wow. there was a ton of work that needed to be done here. Uh, the building was in such bad condition, you could see daylight through the roof from inside no, some of the no. units. So it was that kind of thing. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work. But, you know, it had it actually had pretty good bones. It had modern plumbing that had been replaced uh, right. in 99. And um, decent foundation was fine. So it was really kind of roof and tons of cosmetic work. Uh, I refinanced that property six months later, which I, you know, basically consider my exit. Mm -hmm. And my appraisal on the refinance came in at $2.17 million. Nice. So, um, and after the refinance, the building cash flow is about $5,000 a month. So in six months, I made $540,000 in value add, and I make $5,000 a month in cash flow now. So people that say you can't cash flow in California, I beg to do That's great. So, so when you refinanced it, um, you got most of your money back or all of your money back? Um, that one, I got a little bit of cash out on the refi, but that purchase was an interesting structure because I only put a hundred grand down when I purchased. So okay. I got a 95% loan to value bridge loan, right? By oh, collateralizing another property that I owned. Okay. And, and I, I think I ended up getting about 70,000 cash out. I ended up, I put 200,000 in for the renovations. I was going so, to ask. You know, yeah. My total cash into the deal, I guess, was about 230,000 all said and done. But you know, making five forty there in the value add plus the cash flow, I mean the return. Right. Is yeah. Return. So if you are making cash flow of five grand a month, that's sixty grand a year yeah. on a two hundred and thirty thousand investment. That's amazing. <laughs> I haven't heard of that in California. So yeah. It's definitely the exception <laughs> to the rule. I wouldn't say I could duplicate that again. Right, now. right. And that's why I asked for the best deal, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. so what's your worst deal? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So that, that first duplex I bought ended up being quite of a mess, quite a bit of a mess, actually. Oh, really? Um, it looked really attractive because it was a duplex and it had a non-conforming bootleg third unit mm. um, that was, you know, being rented out technically illegally in the no. back, which make the, made the numbers look great. So, um, you know, it closed. It was a great deal. I felt good about it. Unfortunately, uh, the tenant in that back unit found out about it and they had some sort of grievance with us and um, they notified the city that about the unpermitted unit and the city came, checked it out, got a code violation oh. uh, and they basically threw the book at me on this property. They uh, reviewed the records and despite it being a legal duplex with an, a non-conforming third unit, they forced me to convert it all the way back to a single family residence. Oh my because God. Because they said that the zoning didn't support a duplex, even though that was the legal configuration going back to the 1950s. That's so, crazy. Not great. The tenant also filed suit alleging that they were li you know, living in a non-permitted unit and that there were damages owed. Luckily they didn't win, but nobody likes to go through that experience right. either. Right. So that, built, that, that deal wasn't so great. Um, I was able to hold on to it after it was converted to a single family and I ended up selling it for, for a gain, believe it or not, because the nice. time is really good. This building yeah. is bought kind of right at you know, the bottom of the uh, subprime crisis, but uh, not a great deal. That's awesome. No, thank you for sharing that. So let's take a quick break, Anthony, and we'll be back after the break. Okay. 
You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. I'm chatting with Anthony Walker, who's based out of uh, Southern California. And I'm talking about how... uh, how to invest in an expensive market like California. So uh, I'm, uh, thank you for sharing the best and the worst deal you have done so far, Anthony. Uh, my next question is, uh, of course, I, could, I, I saw that, yes, you made the mistake and hopefully, uh, and I could see that you learned from it. So any mistakes you have made so far, uh, uh, you know, glaring mistakes, and, and if you can share with us, then, you know, myself and my listeners would, you know, at least learn from those mistakes. <laughs> yeah, so I can't stress enough the importance of good due diligence when you're buying these buildings. Uh, that you can really avoid the vast majority of mistakes if you if you do solid due diligence. So, in the example of the duplex, uh, you know, I did know about the non-conforming unit. If I had looked more closely into the zoning, maybe I would have identified that there was something there. But I've definitely had other situations where uh, maybe I didn't review city records in great detail and there was you know unpermitted square footage that i hadn't seen or you know bedroom counts not matching stuff like that i'd be very careful there um, <clears throat> a lot you can do on inspections obviously a lot of the buildings in our market are really old so right. um, that's really important you know and every inspector is not as good as the next one <clears throat> make sure whoever you use is does, does a really thorough job and you know what you're getting into. Um, it's also really easy to uh, look at your, your budget and your pro forma with rose colored glasses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these things often end up costing more than you're expecting. Uh, right. The transaction fees really start to add up. The work adds up. The vacancies can go longer than expected. Um, keep seasonal considerations into mind in the rental market. You know, I've had units sit vacant over the holidays and that can really hurt. Right. You know, I really wasn't expecting uh, before that. And, um, you know, just go in, go in with some extra budget to make sure that you're going to be okay and, and be careful with the financing. Nice. Yeah. Due, due diligence is the key, right? It's very important. And of course, you know, if you are financing, bridge financing or hard money lending, you got to make sure you have captured all the carrying costs as, as, and other fees. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. So any advice you can give your younger self knowing what you know now? <laughs> knowing what I know now, and, I and would you, have gotten... you are already young, so. <laughs> I'm older than I look, but yeah. <laughs> um, knowing what I know now, I would have been a lot more aggressive when I started. Hmm. Um, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you never really right. know what's going to happen in the future. Um, but had I really doubled down when I started, I would be in such a more incredible place now with regard to net worth and cash flow, just because of the way time value of money works. Right. If you find your, your system and, and you've got a good team and you like your market and, and things are going well, you know, don't be afraid to take a risk. I was pretty cautious uh, with my real estate journey uh, for many years. And I think I left some money on the table doing that. Um, other than that, I, I think I, I had a great experience. I had good partners that kind of introduced me to the industry. I had a great team around me. I was able to learn while doing. And um, it, it's, it's been awesome, honestly. 
That's great. So any books or tools do you recommend for someone, you know, starting out in real estate or someone trying to explore markets like California? <laughs> yeah. So podcasts are great, obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> go out. There's so, there's so much information. That yes. You, can give right you now. can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as books go, uh, our founders written a handful of books, which are uh, great books to start with. Uh, one that particularly comes to mind, which really helped me out, is called The Unofficial Guide to Real Estate Investing by Martin Stone. Okay. Um, he's one of the founders of our company. And that book, unlike a lot of other real estate books, which are kind of a pep talk, uh, this book is really detailed. It goes in step by step what you need to know about financing, management, you know, appraisal, valuation, picking your market, all that kind of stuff. So if you want a really good book that kind of covers the breadth of the whole experience, that's a great place to start. It's a long one. It's almost 400 pages. Um, but we kind of look at that as our Bible and, and that's a great starting place for anybody looking to get into multifamily or just investing in general. Okay. I need to get a copy of that book then. Check it out. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, and uh, how can my listeners reach out to you? Absolutely. So they can check us out at buckinghaminvestments.com, all spelled out and plural, like the palace in, in uh, mm -hmm. England. Or um, you can email me directly. My email is anthony.walker at buckinghaminvestments.com. I'm always happy to get emails from people that are interested in talking to us about what's going on here locally. Thank you so much, Anthony, for sharing the words of wisdom with us. Thank you, Alpesh. It's been my pleasure. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L-T-H-M-A-T-R-S.com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!